From MTMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Data for data's sake isn't worth anything. What you want to be able to do is is take that and turn it into something that is actionable. That's Dr. Joe Ebinger on the rise of clinical analytics in healthcare. We'll hear more from Dr. Ebinger on his early shift from paper to electronic records, the importance of physician buy-in, and how patient uniqueness factors into this wide web of data analytics. But first, a word from our sponsors. Over the past several years, Biome has partnered with some of the country's leading cardiovascular teams to power their continuous learning and drive high-quality healthcare delivery. This partnership allows Biome to share new data and insights on performance and develop new intelligence, all in a matter of weeks. Visit biome.io solutions to learn about how the Biome solution, powered by artificial and augmented intelligence, can improve your cardiovascular service line's performance today. Could workflow inefficiencies be preventing you from providing better care? Midmark is focused on developing solutions that help you uncover these inefficiencies, optimize workflow, and improve the patient experience. The Midmark Real-Time Locating System, or RTLS, can reduce wait times by moving patients efficiently through their visits increase patient throughput by utilizing space effectively, and automatically collect data to give you additional insights on further workflow improvements. Contact Midmark today to see how they're transforming the way healthcare is delivered. For more information, visit midmarkrtls.com. Healthcare communication is broken, and SR Health by Solution Reach gives you the most practical solutions to fix it. Stay connected to patients throughout their care journey, improve outcomes, and increase operational efficiency. From diagnosis-based education to appointment-related communications, you need flexibility, reliability, and total control to create the best patient and provider experience. Find out how you can get just that with SR Health at srhealth.com. Have you ever been fretting over a problem and been told, This isn't heart surgery. Well, for Dr. Joe Ebinger with the Smith Heart Institute at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, it often actually is. In addition to his role as clinical cardiologist, Dr. Ebinger also serves as the Institute's Director of Clinical Analytics. This area of healthcare is where science and the human element intersect, allowing Dr. Ebinger and his colleagues to comb through clinically generated data in order to refine processes, reduce cost, and ultimately improve patient outcomes. Dr. Ebinger, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course, thank you for having me. Now, you're currently a clinical cardiologist. You're also the director of clinical analytics for the Smith Heart Institute at uh, Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in LA. Um, Tell us, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your healthcare journey, what got you interested in medicine in the first place, and uh, where you landed on cardiology. Great, great question. Yeah, so, you know, I've been interested in medicine for as far back as I can remember. I, I really think just kind of being drawn to this unique meeting of where science and humanism, uh, you know, connect. And I think that's really where medicine lives and the ability to use knowledge and discovery to improve the lives of other individuals. Uh, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. So that's sort of how I got into medicine. 
uh, within cardiology, um, I think that was probably just from clinical training, seeing patients with advanced cardiovascular disease and recognizing that, you know, cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer of Americans. Uh, this is something that I think is important for us to be able to address. And I, I found myself drawn to that uh, throughout my training and was fortunate enough to, to come on and uh, down here at Cedars where I did my cardiovascular medicine fellowship. In terms of my interest within, you know, how we can use clinically generated data to drive performance improvement and increase quality and decrease cost, that really developed during my medical residency. Um, you know, I saw all these new exciting clinical trials that were coming out with new findings, but on the front lines, day in, day out, providers are just struggling to keep up, mm -hmm. uh, trying to take care of the folks in front of them. And, and these randomized control trials really gave us invaluable insights to the efficacy of new data, new drugs, new procedures, but almost nothing on the effectiveness of how those can be leveraged in the real world. And I saw clinical analytics as the opportunity to bring that same sort of scientific rigor to the issues of effectiveness and improve care delivery for the patients that we care for every day. Mm -hmm. When you were getting your training initially as a cardiologist, at that point, I mean, right away, did you know the role that uh, data and analytics played in it? Or when did that begin? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so I uh, did my medicine residency right after the High Tech Act kind of took off, uh, and and EHRs became you know full blown at, within the healthcare system. So my intern year, I was still on paper. I was writing orders on all of that, and then I saw the EHR kind of take over in, in multiple hospital systems. And what I realized was is there's a ton of clinically generated data. Uh, particularly on patients uh, in the cardiovascular world in which we measure hemodynamics and blood tests and all these other variables that could be leveraged to improve the value of care for those folks. And so I think that as the EHR and medical technology evolved during my training, I saw this as not just an opportunity, but really as the future of how we are going to be able to provide care uh, to, to people across the country. Mm -hmm. um, at one of our company meetings here at MGMA, one of our leaders you know, was telling us that in healthcare, we've got enough data <laughs> to last <laughs> us several lifetimes. I mean, the data is out there. It's now we're really at that stage and have been at that stage where it's the key is analyzing the data, making use of the data, because there's enough data out there. So have you seen that as well? And, and what is the importance then in being able to not just have a lot of data at hand, but actually being able to drill down and mine that data and, and make use of it. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, data for data's sake isn't worth anything. What you wanna be able to do is, is take that and turn it into something that is actionable. So I think one of the key things is garbage in, garbage out, right? You need to make mm -hmm. sure that the data that you're looking at is actually correct, that it has been validated and, and that it, is going to be helpful to to the people looking at it on the back end. So, in terms of of those things, I think that's a number one. Make sure that the data coming in is is correct. In terms of analyzing it on the back end, you have to come at it with particular questions in mind, and then be open to what the data shows you. So, for example, if you say we're going to try and decrease length of stay for patients in our hospital, and you find that really in the end it's actually a problem with you know something else down the stream with an administrative component, or maybe you need more nursing, or you need another physician to fill a role, you have to be able to analyze it with a very you know a mind to to other possibilities than what you came in for looking at it. Mm -hmm. So, 
you have your MD, but you also went back to school. You didn't get enough schooling through med school <laughs> and all your other training. You decided to go back and get that master's in public health. Where did you get the most training uh, to be a better data analyst, so to speak? Was it through actual school in, in med school? Was it in training? Was it in that MPH program? Where, where did that take place where you kind of took data analysis to the next level? Yeah, great question. So I actually, I got a master's in health policy and management. So right, right. Um, yeah, so which is, no, and I think it's important. And, and I actually took a ton of courses with the folks doing the MPH, but mm-hmm. where I was focused on specifically was wanting to answer those those very specific questions of, of how can we bring that scientific rigor to the data analytics of clinically generated data. And so I think that there are, you hit it, the nail on the head, two ways that we go about doing that. One is with the, you know, book work, being in the class and being exposed to the models of how this is is examined, the importance of understanding how applied regression and all of these factors can be able to take what is otherwise a bunch of numbers in an Excel sheet and turn it into something that's understandable for administrators, for physicians, and in the end for patients. On the the you know the flip end of that is just like in medical school where you spend the first two years in a classroom reading books about cardiac function and kidney function and everything else, at the end of two years, you're not ready to go out and treat a patient. You mm-hmm. really need the the hands-on uh, experience and to learn how to take care of a patient with heart failure and the hands-on experience of how to analyze clinically generated data and put it into a useful fashion. So I think that that really those two components of my, my training go hand in hand and one couldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I didn't have both of them. Mm-hmm. What would you say to other physicians then who have had enough with uh, school? (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to go through the full master's program, but they do want to get a better understanding of data analysis. I know you're the you're the director um, Mm -hmm. of the uh, clinical analytics group. So you're working with other physicians. How do you get them up to speed? Yeah. And so so. Physicians and, and most folks who work in healthcare are, are actually pretty well versed to understand how a lot of this works. So I don't think you necessarily need the master's type program or extra training if you want to be engaged to improve patient care. A lot of that still comes down to re- sharing with the other individuals on your team who are, are able to do that. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I've got a master's in this, but I still rely on our PhD colleagues and a lot of the other folks uh, who have MBAs and other uh, advanced degrees to help me analyze this data and look at it uh, in a more thoughtful manner. So there's, you know, no man is an island when it comes to this. And Mm -hmm. so making sure that you rely on the other individuals. The other thing is, is engaging with with providers is, is that all of us have a slightly different perspective on how best to care for a patient and what the real problems are in providing the highest quality care for individuals. So I think that a number one is be part of the conversation. If you see something that you want to improve, if you see something that's a problem, if you see a way that you can enhance the care for your patients, reach out to folks uh, who are either doing jobs like I am or to administrators or just to other clinical leads and say, I think there's a way to do this. Believe me, they will be more than happy to work with you to, to find a data-driven solution. Mm-hmm. In your own journey and becoming more uh, educated on data analysis and working with others, where are we falling short as healthcare professionals? Where are we kind of lagging behind the curve or, or finding roadblocks as far as being better data analysts? Yeah, so so I think one of the things is just recognizing that the clinically generated data that comes out of the EHR and out of all the registries every single day is valuable. Um, 
in virtually no other industry is the information that is gathered on the, the customers, which in healthcare are our patients, is it just ignored after that single encounter, right? There's there's so much learning that can be done. And, and I think that as physicians, we have to recognize that what we do every day isn't just a learning opportunity for us in that individual patient encounter, but can be used to improve the quality of care for patients across the board. There's no better teacher than experience. And, and if we can use the experience of all of our providers and all of our patients and them going through each of these phases of care, uh, that's where I think we really can take huge steps forward as a healthcare uh, institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You're talking about a couple of times here, you're talking about the difference between uh, book learning and, and so-called own the job learning. And it's like, uh, if somebody's going to run a marathon they can they can read a lot of books and watch youtube <laughs> videos and then they can actually get out there and start training to run a marathon so w- where do you fall on that as far as kind of finding that balance between learning uh you know through the rigor of of, of just getting your nose in a book or finding a mentor and then actually learning it you know doing yeah. doing that job yeah so i i in terms of the order in which those go, I don't know if there is a right or a wrong way, but I think you need both as I've alluded to. So my personal path to this was I did my uh, my medicine training, uh, my fellowship, and then uh, so I spent a lot of time in the clinical world and then went on to go get more training in terms of clinical analytics. I think that there are equally individuals who can go about doing it where they get all this training and then go on to do medical training uh, and, and see patients. I think the the key factor is, is you you have to keep a foot in both worlds. So one of the things that I'm I really strive to do is make sure that I keep my you know my feet on the ground and my head in the fact of day-to-day patient care is what we're trying to improve. Mm-hmm. If I just lived in my office and stared at computer screens all day, there is no way that I would be effective at my job. Mm-hmm. And so I think that making sure that we have a balance for that and allow individuals who are doing analytic type programs, research, to have time to spend in clinical care, that is where the learning happens. That's where you're, you get a sense of, okay, what's actually happening in the world? And then you can use the, the, the science and the analytics to be able to validate that and find new opportunities for improvement. So mm-hmm. I think that you really need to find a way to merge both of those. Yeah. So what is your your balance for working? Um, how are you balancing being a cardiologist and being the director of the clinical analytics group? I mean, how do you split that time? Yeah, so great question. So the, the way to balance it is with a lot of coffee. Um, but um, <laughs> so, so I split my time, about uh, 30 to 40% of my time is clinical, where I see patients, I round on our ICUs, I do procedures, uh, and the rest of the time is, is dedicated to the, to the research component of it and the, the analytics component of it. Part of that has to do with, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work and, and help manage a really incredible team. So I, I dedicate a little more on, to the analytics component of it. That being said, there are equally providers who spend far more of their time seeing patients, but are absolutely instrumental to us being able to achieve success within the division of clinical analytics. Mm -hmm. Are you finding that you're accessing different parts of your brain, different parts of your leadership ability and and switching hats going back and forth? Yeah, I think that that we do that as clinicians day in and day out, right? The, The way that I 
I think about something when I'm working with an individual patient one-on-one in the clinical office is very different than how I think about it when I'm looking at, you know, our institutional level patient populations and how we are doing on quality metrics. That being said, the, the key part of it is keeping the patient in mind. If, if you're coming in into looking at data and just seeing things as numbers on a page and you know red and black and what the bottom lines look like, you're gonna completely lose sight of what, what we're all in this for. And so I think that you use different parts of your brain, but in the end, the, the singular focus of all of it is the patient who's, who's coming to get treated at your institution. Mm-hmm. In your role as the director of the clinical analytics group, what, let's talk about that then. What is the scope and mission of that group? Great question. So, so you know, we really strive to improve the value of uh, cardiovascular care here at the Smith Heart Institute. Uh, Smith Heart Institute, excuse me. And value is really defined pretty succinctly, right? It's quality divided by cost. So we have a tripartite mission. This includes leveraging our data to enhance uh, patient care, to improve the operational efficiency of the institute, and then to support the academic research mission of Cedar Sinai. Um, so all of our discoveries improve not just the care that we provide to patients that we're privileged to treat every day, but to individuals who interact with the healthcare system across the country. In your role there, um, you oversee the integration, the validation, and the analysis of clinical data. Um, talk about that work for a moment, and, and what are the KPIs that you guys are most closely watching there? Sure. As with any large institution, there's multiple continuous streams of clinically generated data and administrative data that we work with uh, and to merge to give us a better picture of the healthcare ecosystem in which our providers and patients interact every day. Uh, validating that data is a vital aspect of what we do. Um, and so if data coming in isn't correct, then the conclusions we draw from it are gonna be just as wrong. Uh, the merger of this data is key. Um, so there's, the hard part within healthcare systems, right, is there's no single platform that can handle all aspects of patient care. The EHR doesn't measure the hemodynamics in our cath lab or run the CT scanners. The EKG machines don't talk to finance. Registry data is extracted from notes and submitted to external systems. It's really pulling this all together, which I think is one of the most integral parts of what we do. We've been really fortunate to work with a data analytics company, Biome Analytics, based in San Francisco, who focuses solely on cardiovascular medicine. And they've really pushed us forward in our ability to link these disparate data sources and get a better picture of what's happening at our own institution. I think you'd ask specifically about you know, key performance indicators, um, of which there's a ton. And I think that it, what's considered key is probably dependent on any given day of what hat I'm wearing or who I'm uh, making a presentation to, right? If I ask our administrators, they're going to say it's overall length of stay, ICU utilization, cost per case. Our clinicians want to know about procedural volumes or complications following a given intervention. When I think of it, though, in sort of this position uh, of clinical analytics, I think that the KPIs that we're most focused on are the ones where there's crossover between all parties involved, right? One of these that you could think of is something like a quality of life score, um, something like a Kansas City cardiomyopathy questionnaire, which is something that we give to patients who uh, uh, undergo procedures like TAVR or MitraClip. Uh, when we look at these, uh, this tells us about how the patient is really doing. Uh, are we improving their lives? That's, again, why we're all in this in the first place. Also importantly is variations in those scores lend us a huge amount of insight. 
So if we see that there are certain patients who are getting way better and certain patients who are only gener- or, you know, only getting a certain amount of benefit and not all, that tells us, hey, there's learning to be had here. There's an opportunity for us to be able to improve outcomes for, for a given population. And that's where it really gets exciting because we have an opportunity to make care better. Mm-hmm. How have you used analytics to change physician performance then? Yeah, so that's hard. Uh, getting docs to do anything is, is difficult. Uh, but you know what we do is we try and find ways in which we can partner with individuals on how what's most important to them. So in terms of sort of, I like the idea of these nudges. How do you kind of get folks to think about something slightly differently? One of the things that we're really proud of was around bleeding events following PCI. So when we go and put a stent into a patient's uh, uh, artery around their heart. What we found looking at our data was we had higher than uh, expected bleeding events after uh, uh, stent placement. So we integrated in a bleeding risk score that's been validated from the National Cardiovascular Database Registry and integrated that into our EHR. And so prior to a PCI, uh, providers are given what their patient's score is, and if it was high risk, they were recommended the use of bleeding avoidance strategies. After pushing that onto the EHR, what we found was an increase in the use of radial axis, a decrease in the use of 2B3A inhibitors, and a decrease in the bleeding event rate, which was amazing. So not only did we successfully change physician performance, but we did it to the benefit of our patients and reductions in complications, which was absolutely great. Okay. I received a white paper recently from someone from your team that's titled, Eliminating Physician Management Complexity with Performance Analytics. Something that really caught my attention once I dug into this paper is that uh, there's really an issue of physician buy-in. We've been talking about that a little bit, but go into more detail about that. Why is it so difficult to get that buy-in with the physicians, and how have you gone about doing that? Completely agree. Um, you, you absolutely need the buy-in and the partnership from your physicians and from every member of your care team in order to make a change. I think that one of the things, and I said this before, is you have to go in with an open mind. What you see as a problem may have absolutely zero importance for, for the provider that you're talking to. And similarly, something that you that may not even be on your radar may be the A number one thing that that provider is looking to change. So I think first and foremost is ensuring that there's a mechanism and a venue uh, for these issues to be raised and addressed is an absolute must for, for you to engage physicians with this. I think the second thing is is that healthcare providers and and physicians in general are incredibly skeptical, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not just going to take your word for something. So if if you are saying something, you have to show them and be specific. For example, I think we've talked about length of stay a little bit. You just put up a graph that shows the length of stay. That's not going to cut it. They want to know what the length of stay is for their patients, and they're going to want you to back that up. I mean, I've had conversations with, I don't know how many folks who say, that can't be right. My patients all leave on time, nobody stays longer. But if you can provide them with the data and say, I know you work really hard at this, but here's you know case A, B, or C, and they ended up staying longer, then you can have a conversation around what were the variations that led to those, those changes. I think coming at it as a partner saying, listen, I'm not saying you're doing a bad job. I'm saying, let's help you do even better. Because if there's anything that physicians were, uh, hate more than being wrong, it's being uh, you know, behind somebody else. And so really leveraging their their competitive ability uh, to help push them forward and using the data to do that, I think that's how you really can uh, to engage them more in the process. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot about data, the, you know, access to data, that there's so much data out there. 
but there's also a lot of technology that you can use to access data. So how do you go about figuring out what technology to use? Is it the right technology? Is what, Where's the due diligence in, in looking for that? Yeah, so, so a lot of it has to do with, you know, we wanna make sure that the platforms that we're utilizing are well vetted and understood. So we, you know, our EHR platform, just like everybody else's, we go through, we vet, we make sure it works well. Same thing with anything that goes into our cath lab, anywhere in the, the clinical space. Uh, uh, as I mentioned before, our partnership with Biome has been vital. Uh, and the way that we ended up getting paired with them was is seeing the success that they've had, not just you know uh, for us, but for other institutions. So I think that really a lot of this has to come down to looking at the, the prior success, the, the credibility of any organization that you're gonna pair with, and then making sure that they're gonna be able to actually help you accomplish uh, what you need to do. And, and so that's what we've really focused on when, when engaging with any new technology here at Cedars. Mm-hmm. Earlier, earlier you were talking about patient engagement. You were talking about the importance of that, that ultimately you're there to serve the patient, to help mm-hmm. them in whatever that outcome may be. We've been talking a lot about data in technology, and you don't want to get lost in that. So you want to continue to have that that level of trust with the patient, have that relationship with the patient. So how do you balance those two things? Yeah, no, that's that's huge. Uh, I was I was at a conference last week actually, and uh, they they put up you know uh, two pictures side by side. One was uh, the famous portrait of the physician looking at their patient, you know, spending all this time, that's all it is. And then another was a recent drawing, uh, I think it was actually in JAMA, of a a child who had gone to their pediatrician's office and drew a picture, and the physician was in the corner sitting at their desk looking at a computer screen. Um, That's what we want to avoid with technology. That's, uh, you know, (laughs) we absolutely don't want that. And I, I think that we have to, in healthcare, retool our idea of how we should be interacting with technology. It shouldn't be something that it gets in the way of patient care, but rather streamlines, improves, and allows us to spend more time with our patients. So the question becomes is how do we take that step? Because I think if you were to poll most physicians right now, they would say the EHR, that computer systems, all of that gets in the way of me spending time with my patients. So I think that you need to figure out, okay, how do we leverage this? One of the things that we're, you know, really, proud of is, is using these tools within the EHR to automate processes. So one of the things that uh, that we looked at recently, uh, we're developing a new risk score to be able to predict individuals who have contrast-induced nephropathy. The, the newer part about it is it's going to be fully automated into our EHR. There's no more having to click a bunch of things and wait for the score to come back. It can be completely automated and personalized to the patient and allows providers to not have to go out you know, calculate this stuff on their own, but to be able to just have it available to them and then have a conversation about a patient's individualized, personalized risk scores. That's really what we want to be able to do with technology. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that uh, I found in researching the work that you're doing is patient uniqueness and how that factors into data analysis. Expound on that a little bit. What do you mean by that, uh, patient uniqueness, and what's the kind of work that you're doing to, to make sense of that? Yeah, so everybody is their own person, right? No one wants to be seen as a cog in the wheel, as a number on a spreadsheet, as just another person moving through the healthcare system. And, and that's true not just for the patient experience component of it, but that's true at a medical level, right? 
the the way that uh, one person responds to a medication is different than another person responds to it, and, and what intervention is right for you know Mrs. Jones may be different than what's right for Mr. Smith. And how can we leverage data to be able to understand those variations? A number one is, is you have to be able to collect the data in some sort of discrete format, right? And so for years, uh, healthcare was on paper, was uh, in a system that was not accessible to be able to do this outside of the setting of large clinical trials, right? Um, and so what we're able to do now is we're able to gather that information on a much larger population to be able to, to to glean sort of information from it, right? Uh, one of the projects we're working on right now is, for example, to be able to look at patients who have high blood pressure and try and predict more accurately who has uh, resistant hypertension uh, related to uh, medication non-adherence. So all of these factors can be pulled in to be able to help us get a better sense of who are the patients who are less likely to be taking their medications? Who are the patients who are more likely to have white coat hypertension? All of these factors can be gleaned when we look at these granular data level, at, this granular data at the patient level, not just at the population level. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a real life example, a case study, anything you could share with us about that? How you've kind of looked at these populations and been able to solve a problem that had really been puzzling you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, not. I don't know. I think some of the ones that we've talked about at the patient level around mm -hmm. things like contrast-induced nephropathy and bleeding risk and alike. Some of the puzzles, though, that we've been able to answer have to do with variation just within healthcare provision itself, right? So I actually think of our TAVR program. Uh, we're a huge TAVR TAVR center. We have, you know, I, I in my completely unbiased opinion, some of the best folks to to do these types of procedures. But what we found was, you know, we still had a decent number of patients who were going to the ICU and we couldn't quite figure out why. We looked at their individual for, you know, uh, individual level data. We said, you know, the folks who were going to the ICU didn't seem that different than the folks who were going to, to our step down unit and getting discharged the very next day. And so finally we said, well, maybe it's not a patient level variation. We just decided to stratify it by when their case finished. And what we found was it was patients after three o'clock were almost exclusively going to the ICU. And we partnered with physicians. We said, why do you think this is? And what we realized is, is that the uh, we have a, a PACU nurse who was taking care of these patients in the PACU, and she left at three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so all of those patients were going to the ICU. And so all we did was we triaged another staff member to pick up when she went home, and our ICU utilization rates completely dropped. Uh, we saw, you know, decrease in our length of stay. Uh, and, and those are the kind of variations that you can pick up on looking at big data like this to improve, you know, not just the, the bottom line, but also patient satisfaction and your overall uh, care of how of care for those patients. Mm -hmm. As you've gone back and benchmarked, you've looked at the uh, results of the data and what it's provided for you. Has anything surprised you? Have you been able to discover something, a new process, a new way of doing something, or a new way of addressing uh, your patients that has really stood out to you? Great question. So uh, extending out from the, the TAVR example, one of the other areas that we were looking at is we were noticing that a lot of our patients were getting discharged later in the day. And again, we looked at these individual patient characteristics. Were they older? Were they younger? Were they, was it related to you know something procedurally? We couldn't find anything. And again, what we ended up doing was going back to our providers and talking to them. And they said, oh, well, we're just waiting for the echocardiogram to get done. 
um, they these were non-stat procedures, so they would kind of get bumped to later on in the day, and by the time it got completed, it was two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and that was the whole holdup. Uh, something that simple. So, so here we were thinking this was this huge, complex, individual patient uh, factor, but in the end, it was something as simple as, hey, if we could get these echoes done sooner, we could get patients out. What we did is we set up a, a triage process for patients who uh, needed their echo done uh, after their TAVR. They were done first thing in the morning, and we saw our, our discharge times drop off significantly, and that was great. We were able to improve our throughput for the rest of the hospital, and I'll tell you, patients really like it when they get home uh, before noon. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, before we wind down, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Um, you know, as they're looking at improving outcomes and improving the way that they analyze data, anything that they should do to, you know, maybe make some first steps to make those changes? Yeah. So, so as I said, I think we've said like three, four different times is keep the patient in mind, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all here to provide high quality care to those who are fortunate enough to, to treat on a day-to-day basis. And then leverage the resources at your disposal, right? Um, there are, there's so much clinically available data that you can look at. Don't just let it, uh, you know, float out into the ether, harness it, validate it, and, and integrate it with the, the, the disparate data sources across your institution, and partner with those caring for patients. If you can do that, you're going to be able to really help improve the lives of your patients every day. All right. Well, Dr. Abinger, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. The pleasure was mine. Thank you again for having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Biome, Midmark, and Solution Reach for sponsoring this week's show. Also, thanks to our guest, Dr. Joe Ebinger. With the Financial Conference now in the rearview mirror, it's time to start turning your attention to MGMA 20, the Operations Conference, April 16th through 18th in Phoenix. For more details or to register, visit mgma.com TOC. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at mgmadaniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.